0: Welcome to the Technology Labs podcast number 20. My name is Tom. I'm Rick. And I'm Daniel. And our guest today is Vincent Weine. Welcome Vincent to the Technology Labs podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Great. Um, well, uh, Vincent, maybe it's good for our listeners that you introduce yourself in a couple of sentences so everyone knows who's uh, who he or she is listening to.
1: Uh, well, uh, Vincent Wijnen, as said, uh, I've been working for 13 years at Society Netherlands now. Uh, I started out as a tester and grew into a test automation consultant. So lately I've been busy with uh, everything around automation. Uh, and as a consultant, I do more talking than programming, but uh, I still do both.
0: <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Well. Uh, that's also the the topic of today and eh? the automation or test automation topic uh, is something that we're going to discuss uh, in today's uh, Technology Labs podcast. So uh, we have the right person to talk to, I guess. Uh, before we go there uh, and feel free to uh, to interact with us, Vincent, uh, we, uh, we always uh, talk about a couple of tech news items that came across uh, our time- timelines and uh, well, Daniel. Uh, would you be so kind to start to kick off with your tech news item uh, today? Yeah,
2: sure. Um, I had a tech item about Intuit. Uh, that's a company, a US-based company, uh, which is going to acquire Mailchimp. And oh. Mailchimp is uh, yeah pretty well known. Uh, yeah, what, what is it actually? A marketing platform or something like that, where you can send emails, etc., uh, to uh, to your customers. And um, the Big thing about this was that uh, they are going to acquire it for uh, 12 billion dollars. Wow. Okay. To well, me, that was a crazy billion. amount.
0: <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Well, it is a crazy amount of money, but this, with every takeover uh, in the in the tech, in, the, in big tech, I, I think nowadays it's, it's in multiple billions. Uh, that yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That place, right?
2: I also didn't know the company into Intuit, but when I went to the website, I saw that they had multiple products. They had QuickBooks, Mint, um, and some other uh, tools as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- yeah, Mint is uh, a, a very uh, uh, well known app, I believe, um, yeah. which uh, helps you with your uh, uh, money management. Uh, so you can see what uh, uh, what you spend on different types of uh, purchases, et cetera. Um, but it's a pretty big company and uh, they acquired Mailchimp for $12 billion, which was a crazy amount to me because that's half LinkedIn, <laughs> if you, yeah, yeah, if yeah, you look yeah, at yeah. it. <laughs> and wow. I, yeah, if I look at Mailchimp, it's mostly a, a way of sending emails, et cetera, to uh to, to customers, but.
0: I was thinking uh, about uh, yeah. Mailchimp back in, well, days, years back, uh, I think, at yeah. least I know Mailchimp of, as an email client. Only. I, I think they started out as an email client, right? Clients where you can easily do like
2: those uh, search and replace kind of things. So if you want to mm-hmm. send a bulk email, you could easily use variables, etc., and uh, do do so, stuff like that. That was the first yeah. step, I believe. So
3: it, it's for marketing uh, uh, purposes uh, mainly. Yeah. 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 Okay. And and I I'm now. Looking, uh, I've just simply googled into it, but it's a large uh supplier of financial software. Uh, it, it looks like it has a complete financial yeah. confidence, they say. Wow! Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, maybe they needed some uh mail uh, facilities in their financial software.
0: Uh, I guess you can yeah. introduce a nice pipeline for uh, or a funnel for um, for mar- from um, digital marketing uh, perspective to those financial services but yeah I can see that by day they, that they like to to uh, to put something to what they already have and uh, that mailchimp is a nice addition to that fits in nicely yeah.
2: And, yeah, and but I thought the 12 billion is crazy amount mm-hmm. like it's it's, yeah. it's going higher and higher with all those prices. and it's of course also because of the epidemic because a lot of companies tech companies get worth a lot more mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah still I think it's a crazy amount of yeah <laughs> Agreed.
1: Agreed. it's
2: uh, it's a lot of money <laughs> yeah.
1: but, but isn't isn't most of that amount usually paid in shares rather than actual money? yeah. yeah. Yeah, they, and that makes it yeah. easier.
0: Yeah, and it depends a little bit on the uh, liquidity of, of a company, indeed, and how they pay it. But indeed, of uh, in a lot of cases, it's in shares or in all, all kinds of f- f- strange in bonds or in whatever the financial uh, means is. Yeah. Uh, but indeed, uh, cash, cash money is uh, it, is not often paid. I guess uh, I believe that's well, only. It's, it's- it's 12 billion in cash and stock. Yeah. So yeah, it's,
2: um, yeah, there you go. part part and, of it is cash, but. Yeah. but do, do
0: you
3: yeah. have any idea how many people are working at MailChimp? Because I'm I'm doing a quick math and, yeah. and 12 billion would be the year salary of 10,000 people. Yeah. So... <laughs> And of course, I know the value of the company doesn't depend on the salary of the of people, but just to put it in perspective, if you have a 10,000 people company, okay, but I would imagine Mailchimp being more like a hundred people company or something. So, I think it's 1,200 employees. Oh, that's still okay. more than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. But and still, and
1: yeah. by now they must have accumulated a vast database of targeted email addresses, yeah. and probably those are pretty valuable as well.
3: That's
0: probably ah
1: yeah,
2: of yeah.
3: course,
0: yeah, yeah
2: you're right, Vincent. Yeah. That's where the value is. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, because they have, the, I believe, they have some kind of uh, free product but then uh, of course you have to um, pay in different <laughs> data <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. different data yeah so that's uh, that's kind of the, the big thing here yeah. um, but they they earn most of their money with uh, standards and uh, uh, premium licensing mm.
0: okay oh, and that's also very uh, valuable eh? if you already have yeah. a lot of those in place that's that's earning a lot of money so that yeah yeah oh, okay okay I can see where it comes where this this amount of money comes from then. Yeah, makes a little bit more sense now. But still, it's a huge amount. Yeah, that's true.
2: Yeah, if if you if you get a premium license, of course, then they don't own the data yeah. because you're yeah, paying yeah, yeah. a premium license. So, yeah. But, that's yeah. But that's, that's a little bit different.
0: Yeah, but that's also highly valuable. So either way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it's a good exactly. thing. Exactly. Um, okay. Cool. Well, um, huge amounts of money there. Um, Rick, you got to an article that. I also looked at, uh, at least from a different perspective, and looking at it is already hinting a little (laughs) bit on uh, what this is about. (laughs) Rick, what's your tech news uh, item? uh, It appears that
3: both of us found a news item about uh, glasses Mm -hmm. and the news item that I found on The Verge is about uh, Ray-Ban, you know, the uh, well-known sunglass company, uh, with their their iconic uh, models. Uh, For example, um, uh, James Bond is one of the people who often wear Ray-Ban sunglasses. But now Ray-Ban has joined forces with Facebook and have created a uh, a glasses and you can get them as sunglasses, but also as regular prescription uh, glasses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that contains two cameras, uh, two five megapixel cameras, so actually not, too high resolution, uh, but still good enough to take video. Um, and then you can uh, just film using your glasses and most people won't, although they put a little lamp on it, so when you're filming, there is a lamp shining on your glasses, so people at least have a notification that you're filming them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it has a voice control, so you can Uh, say, and I would have expected that I then would have to say, Hey, Ray, Ben, uh, start the video, but you can actually say, Hey, Facebook, start a video. So the integration with Facebook is quite strong here. Um, And uh, yeah, so it's it's a nice way of uh, registering things and putting them on your uh, Facebook uh,
0: streams Okay. Okay. Well. Yeah. I also saw the, the the article coming by indeed on the verge, and while browsing the verge, and I always like that site to to look into all those kind of tech news items, and I see Daniel nodding as well. So it's yeah. It's, uh, often vi- I like frequently a visit the uh, visited site. Yeah. Uh, but so Rick,
2: about uh, about the lamp. Uh, mm-hmm. is it like a red dot just like <laughs> with the normal cameras? Like,
3: yeah. Actually, it is a white one, which oh, okay. I was surprised because normally on cameras it's a red one, yeah,
2: oh. but <laughs> that would be fun, Definitely,
3: and, yeah. And, and, and uh, the uh, glasses also have a few other lights that give some indications, uh, in, in other colors, but I'm now frantically trying to find where that is, but I uh, Uh, Oh, and and by the way, it says that the white recording light is fairly dim. So um, (laughs) it could still raise uh, privacy concerns because you may not even see that the the light is on. uh, There
1: you go. (laughs) I was waiting for the privacy discussion because (laughs) it's going to be just as bad as when the Google Glasses came out. Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's crazy. And
1: Facebook integration doesn't spell... (laughs) very well I
3: think and <laughs> some countries it will trigger some discussion
1: well then I, I,
0: I have an even better glasses I found an even better <laughs> glass I think well, glasses. tell us about it uh, which has no integration with uh, Facebook like uh, companies which is a good thing on the other hand, <laughs> uh, uh, it's it's the company Xiaomi who who announced a pair of smart glasses, so you can already directly debate whether the the the, the privacy concern of everything going to China is uh, is is in place here. But yeah, I don't know, I don't know how they uh, how they go cope with data and what what they do with it. Um, uh, but at least um, the, the article sh- uh, says that, uh, and that's w- what I found very interesting because Rick came up with the with the glasses of Ray-Ban and Facebook. Uh, is uh, the Xiaomi is um, said to have glasses that do more than Facebook's Ray-Bans, assuming oh, assuming they can do assuming they actually exist. So it's kind of more like a rumor that they're coming up now, they, they, they have show have been showcasing them. There's a nice video also. And um, uh, it, it is a bit unclear that uh, how, about the plan that they actually going to put them on sale. So this might be a kind of a prototype that can lead to something commercial or or yeah, you never know, with these kind of companies because we don't have that much insight in uh Xiaomi uh, is what yeah that. They, can come to a commercial model uh, directly. However, it's a um, uh, very yeah, conventional glass glasses and uh, simple structure. Uh, as I read through it, it has micro LED uh, technology, which is self-emissive, uh, uh, which is which is a good thing and very tiny. And it has a display the size of a grain of rice, which is very cool in my opinion, from a technology perspective. So only okay,
3: so two. it. It does contain a display.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It contains okay, a yeah, display.
3: That's, that's more than the Ray-Ban glasses have because they don't have a display. Uh, so you always uh, have to use your smartphone or other device to, to view uh, the pictures you took. Okay. okay. Well, this on one on the other been... hand that makes it a quite a uh, small device yeah? because it's, it, it's the same size as a, as a regular glasses. There's. Uh-huh. Um, no extra weight or extra uh, things attached.
0: Well, then I can top that again with the Xiaomi glasses be- because they are rumored <laughs> to uh, have the same form factor <laughs> as the regular glasses. Have a quad-core ARM processor on board, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, Bluetooth, a battery, and a five-megapixel camera, and just for under fifty-one grams. So, same five megapixel, really? Yeah.
3: 51 yep. grams. I have no idea what normal glasses weigh, but I, I have a
0: weighing scale here, so I'll
3: <laughs> weigh
0: my glasses. We <laughs> so are talking about it. Yeah, 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 really cool. So I'm curious to see how much the, the, the regular glasses of, of Rick weigh. So that's, that's Five really
3: grams. So, so the, these batteries make your glasses twice
0: as heavy as normal. Okay, okay, okay. So 25 What's, to 50. But, but you have glasses which have bigger, you bigger, what is it? Uh, roundings around Bigger the glasses, rims, whatever, yeah. rims, uh, etc. So you, yeah, so it might be a tad bit high in the weight department, but still uh, with a quad processor on board and uh, everything that goes with and it. And do they have any information about pricing uh, already? No, 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 no pricing because it's... Uh, okay. uh, but well, the what they e- do have is, is they have an optical waveguide lens uh, <laughs> which refracts and directs the light directly to your eye. So with the the the, the the display that is uh, uh, less than two millimeters by two millimeters, uh, they can project everything into your eye uh, with a brightness of two million nits, which is, um, I believe, ten times as much as a regular display of a laptop or a, a computer display. So, yeah, so uh, that's really now you impressive. Get
3: blinded by your glasses.
0: <laughs> <laughs> blinded by the light. Well, th- what they actually do, and I think it's more aimed towards the uh, augmented reality applications, and that's what they want to do, is that they want to project all kinds of information on that. Yeah, on the image that you already see through the glasses. So you can yeah, think okay. of directions or uh, yeah, notifications and stuff like that. So that's probably where they are aiming for. And that's a little bit yeah, of different so, application as the Facebook uh, Ray-Ban combo.
3: Yeah, but then the, this uh, had uh, uh, glasses is more of a augmented reality glasses, mm-hmm. whereas the Ray-Bans are uh, just between brackets, uh, a recording device.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the Ray-Ban glasses are more a camera and, uh, yeah. and this is a, a augmented reality
3: solution, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it's the kind of camera that that uh, uh, secret agents were dreaming of a couple of decades ago. And uh, now everybody can buy them for like $300. So, uh, true. Oh, well.
0: True, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's wait and see who will uh, who will come to the market first. Because even without the announcement of Xiaomi that it's going to be commercial, I think they can ramp up very quick- quickly if they want to, uh, as opposed to the the Facebook Ray Ban combination, who is well clearly aiming to deliver something to the market. So uh, yeah, let's wait and see what happens. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, enough about tech news items, I would guess. Uh, let's talk about also tech related and uh, some automation and some test automation uh, yeah Vincent because Definitely. yeah you uh, uh, your uh, yeah your your career de- uh, brought you at um, well a, a test automation consultant and mm-hmm. uh, you already uh, mentioned that you talk a lot about the topic. Uh, so let's talk some more about this topic. <laughs> uh, yeah maybe start uh, with uh, well at least my first question is okay, what is the latest and greatest on test automation? uh, in the market at this, at this point, can you share some, some great insights there?
1: Good question. And I'm, I'm, I can't say that I've been noticing a lot of great developments lately. It's, it's basically the same tools that have been around for quite a while and, uh, they're getting better and better, more user-friendly, more integrations. Uh, One of the big breakthroughs we're all waiting for, of course, is the integration of AI. Uh, so you can somehow either make uh, your tooling a bit smarter uh, so that it, it does some stuff itself or make it easier to maintain. I've yet to see any actual examples that uh, feel like AI, because I think mostly it's still algorithms, mm-hmm. just you know a smart combination of steps to make some things easier. But I haven't seen the tools really learning for themselves or, or really making decisions autonomously. Um, and then you also come to the very a, a very big challenge that you see in automation where people often feel like the automation can dis- you can can execute test cases and then decide if something is right or wrong and i always oppose that because i think that uh, automation can never really decide if something is right or wrong the only thing it can do is detect change mm-hmm. and then you need a you need a human to decide whether or not the change is expected uh, or not, and if you need uh, to register, for instance, a defect. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have the feeling that it will be quite a long time before we trust AI enough to make that decision by itself. So in essence, it will only be a very small extension uh, uh, on the tools that we already have, because with some proper programming and some, some well, decently smart algorithms, change in an application so uh, really big developments i haven't seen any it's just some more diversification some more tools becoming a little more little more mature uh, but it's relatively quiet
0: Okay. Okay. And um, uh, maybe uh, bring a little bit of the the field of work of Daniel into uh, uh, test automation uh, market because when you're talking about automation and AI making life a little bit easier in in the automation department, uh, I can also imagine. And maybe this goes a little bit hand in hand that low code, no code in test automation land is playing or. starting to play a kind of a role so that the, the threshold or the yeah the learning curve for some test automation is uh, is going down when also the low code, no code movement is invading the test automation world? Or uh, do you see it differently?
1: No, that is happening. Uh, th- there are, are some tools that claim to be low code. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but of course, the claims the companies them make themselves are always a little better than it actually is in reality. Uh, I think one big important point that uh, a lot of these companies are trying to well make us forget is that uh, automation has a very strong dependency on the quality of the actual software software that you're testing and what you see is that testability and if you stretch it on a little even automatability is still something that uh, uh, a lot of uh, well companies are not investing in very well. So you end up with tooling that's pretty difficult to automate. And uh, I think that's going to be a very big uh, obstruction to the acceptance of uh, low code automation, because if your application is not consistent, has really strange way of doing things, does not give you insight. In certain information, then using low-code uh, automation becomes really, really difficult. Even though these companies would claim otherwise, in practice, I almost always see everybody uh, going back into the code and building highly customized solutions mm-hmm. for that. So,
0: yeah, yeah, and it's about accessibility, indeed, or testability of the application under test, right? And and it can yeah. be an uh, an app, it could be a website. Uh, but it could even be uh, uh, an, uh, a navigation device in a car, right? That yeah. doesn't make a real difference but if, you,
3: but if you look at it from the other perspective, if you take, well, and I know Daniel is into the Power Platform, but the Power Platform itself contains test automation uh, facilities, isn't it? So, so then you don't use a separate low-code test automation tool, but you use the low code platform
2: itself. to also automate your testing. Mm-hmm. And, and can yeah, you deliberate par- on that? It's, it's partly that because um, it's only um, uh, a part of the application that can be tested through uh, the testing automation um features that are in the power platform for instance. so if you want to do regression testing or something else then you probably need something else for that or maybe uh, the um, uh, performance testing etc that's also done in a different uh, different manner. so it doesn't cover everything. it's just the normal yeah. test cases and run those by and that's it.
0: And maybe yeah, it's even yeah. more that you can see the low-code like a low-code platform, like power platform, as a as a kind of an orchestrator between yeah. all the different tools that you might already have in place. Uh, indeed, performance testing or uh, some regression testing or unit testing that's mm-hmm. already there where you trigger a lot of things and where you start building build pipelines and even CI CD pipelines with your low-code Platform and then uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like you're replacing a Jenkins-like environment with a low-code platform.
2: Yeah, and those pipelines are already not really low-code, uh-huh, uh-huh. if you ask me, oh, yeah, because yeah. there's a lot of uh, coding still going on on those pipelines. Yeah. So that's also something that needs to pr- improve, of course. Yeah. But I think that what what Vincent said is really important. The software uh, that it depends on uh, should be automatable or mm. testable. Um, and that's something that um, a lot of companies also invest in because uh, if you look at, f- for instance, Tosca, I believe they had a big partnership with SAP. Mm-hmm. Um, those kinds of partnerships are gonna change, it, gonna change everything for them. I think those kinds of partnerships, so when a company uh, goes to Microsoft and says, we wanna partner on Power Platform, for instance, and we wanna make sure that you can automate our uh, product better, um, that is probably something that's gonna change uh, for low code, for instance. Yeah, because but those then, then, partnerships are going to be really yeah, important.
0: Because then it goes hand in hand. Huh? The, the accessibility for testing uh, an SAP platform yeah. is then directly implemented in the automation platform, which then yeah. could lead to a kind Camera. of a low-code accessibility of the same thing.
1: That's the, that's the promise, yeah, that's the yeah. promise, and uh-huh. what I see in practice, because okay. uh, I also noticed that, for instance, PEGA and Mendix are also implementing their own testing solutions, but I'm currently, for instance, involved in a PEGA project, mm-hmm. and there they built uh, functionality to do some sort of archiving job, and then there was a screen where you could tell if the archiving job passed successfully. Um, so yeah, obviously, when you automate something like that, you want to check in the end, to see if the archiving job actually went correctly, but it wasn't accessible. Hmm. You simply couldn't get to it. So I asked them, can you then maybe make a separate screen so we can do that actual check? And and then business said, no, we will not accept it because that screen, we don't want it in production. It doesn't provide any value to our customer, so we're not going to authorize it. And then you end up with a low code platform that has a, a, a automation solution included. And you still cannot access the results of the things you want to test. Mm. So it all, in the end, boils down to the way that testability is implemented. And what I see is that, you know, testability is not something that the business generally cares about. So it's simply not done very often. Mm. And then it, it still remains very difficult to automate it properly. Mm. And it's the same with SAP. I mean, the whole idea is that clients implement SAP relatively standardized, and what you always see, yeah, but we want this different, and we want a, a little change there, and they, they they hire some developers to dive neck deep into uh, to ABAP, the code that's running on behind it, which is basically a newer version of COBOL, and they built a massive load of customizations and no automation connects to it anymore. So yeah. the isu- I think the issue is not in the tools. The tools have been capable for decades. Mm. It's the way we build applications and make them accessible, not only for people, which are our clients, so they need to be accessible for people, but also for tools. And I think that's one of the big challenges that we're gonna be looking at as applications are becoming more and more complex. If we forget to add the testability part, the automation is gonna be more and more difficult every day. And I see that around me everywhere
0: Yeah, and it's also about about doing maintenance and eh? not only doing maintenance on your test automation solution but it again goes hand in hand with doing maintenance on the code base itself because if yeah. you don't have that in place then i can imagine that if, if we have a rough time automating it and maintaining that automation yeah, so a small change would lead to a huge amount of work in the automation department then yeah, the same goes for the uh, update in, in code if that's hugely complex and not Yeah, maintainable, again, uh, uh, that that will take up a lot of time as well.
2: Yeah, but with automation, it's also a big problem with companies that still are afraid of automation. So they think they won't uh, sell as much licenses anymore when they uh, uh, will allow automation on their platform, for instance. Uh, I see a lot of those companies as well. uh, that didn't want to go to automation because uh, they said, well, we want to have as much po- people uh, on our platform as possible. Mm. And when we automate something, then maybe we would sell uh, 100 nice. licenses less. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: so that, that's also a big problem here. <laughs> here you see actually
3: <clears throat> that they are uh, at, at, the new possibilities are better than their licensing model, and therefore the licensing model is blocking uh, the use, eh? and isn't that, Vincent, also something that you see in several of these testing tools, that they, they lose market because of their licensing model?
1: Yeah, they're often very strict, Uh, and uh, what you see is that some of these licenses models are still built upon the idea that a company makes a choice for a tool, and what you see in practice is that companies no longer decide for tools because they're not using them. Teams are deciding on tools, so sometimes even developers are deciding on tools, and they're also used to switching very quickly. You know, Mm -hmm. if this doesn't work, you switch to something else. And then with a license, you need to go through the purchasing department, and and, and they have to write all sorts of contracts, mm-hmm. and it's it's just really inflexible in general. And, and um, the license so runs and
0: for, for a year or so, uh, so you, yeah, indeed, minimum. You, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah.
1: And then, you know, the manager is not going to say, you know, I'm not going to pay like 30K just so you can have an experiment for a week <laughs> to see if this tool is working. And then, then th- there are sometimes ways to get like a, a trial period, but sure. then you automatically get one of these salespeople uh, running yeah. after you. So it, a lot of these licenses and models are just really unfriendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe they should uh, look a bit more at uh, the, the way some platforms implement um, uh Uh, subscriptions Mm -hmm. where you can just uh, like many online services are doing and and stop with these massive uh 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 uh, uh, contracts that enterprise agreements yeah yeah. the enterprise agreements because that's not the way to go you know teams decide for themselves so they they don't need the influence of all these companies behind it and that's that's
2: totally uh, a change of uh how people think because Mm -hmm. microsoft has done that for power bi for years already they have like self-service uh purchase of licensing so you can, as a, a employee of a company, you can just get, grab your own credit card and purchase a, a Power BI Pro license if you want. Mm. And that's what's happening with a lot of services now. So the Power Platform is doing the same thing. Office 365 is doing the same thing, mm. etc. And that's something that a lot of companies are not happy about because they are like, well, we want to do this as an enterprise agreement yeah. because then we can have a discount. Because if we have like, for instance, Capgemini Group has 270,000 people, I believe, worldwide. Yep. If you want to purchase a Microsoft 365 license for those people, you are going to do that through an enterprise agreement because if you pay the list price, it's going to be so much be expensive. more expensive. And that's that's the thing that a lot of companies or enterprise uh, uh, enterprises are really um, afraid of when it's going to self-service because then the uh, the, the the companies who deliver those licenses though they, they are never gonna give the same, uh, de- same discounts, for instance.
1: Okay. And, and I've seen that in effect in an interesting way uh, at one of the clients I worked, uh, it was actually with a Tosca license. Um, the manager actually opted to buy each license separately and on a monthly basis rather than the cheaper yearly basis because mm-hmm. the amount would be lower and he could sign it off himself because yeah. if he would buy the bigger license, yeah. Uh, he would have to go through the purchasing department. Mm -hmm. And the end result is that there were licenses everywhere and the amount of money that they were spending was way higher than when they would have done it through purchasing. So they tried to do it through purchasing, but then management got involved and it's a lot of money. And so what is it going to yield us? You know, what value are we going to get? And it became super difficult. And they they basically, yeah, it it just ran aground Mm -hmm. uh, that entire idea and and people started losing faith in the tool not because it was a bad tool, but because it was hard to get, you Mm -hmm. know, you have a problem right now, you need a tool to solve it. And maybe you could get it in half a year. Yeah, people it's just didn't bother. Workable.
0: Yeah. yeah. So th- is, is that also one of the bigger reasons <clears throat> that we see uh, a lot of open source tooling becoming more and more popular?
1: Yeah, undoubtedly. Mm. Undoubtedly. It's, you know, developers. Uh, the developers that I meet are usually people that want as little fuss as possible. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're facing some issue in some part of the application that they themselves want to solve. And, they, they, you know, they're just not interested in all these big enterprise stuff. They just want to make these decisions themselves. And with open source tools, they can just look it up what they do. They can even look into the code to see what they do. They can find examples on Stack Overflow, and yeah. it's just way more accessible. And I think that's, that's something that license tools may even never defeat Mm -hmm. that kind of accessibility
0: yeah 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 and also the 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 quick updates that you get when when you encounter something that's not working or not working correctly even in open source you can even update it yourself if you have the skills eh, to do so Uh, uh, or otherwise if there's a big community behind it maybe the community already found it or uh, someone will pick it up uh, as opposed to the need also longer lead times of releases of commercial tools with with licenses. Yeah, that sometimes even once or twice a year only a new version uh, is delivered. That doesn't help in uh, yeah uh, being um, happy with with, uh, with the flexible tool that, that delivers you the solution that you look for uh, now instead of in half a year. But,
3: yeah, but isn't it true, Vincent, that
0: more and more of these tool
3: vendors do some kind of, of adoption of the things that you have with open source tooling to make it more flexible and you uh, also have a community that helps each other, etc.
1: That's what they claim. And uh, some of them, you see them doing it a, a little bit uh, indeed. It usually depends on the size uh, of their tool. Uh, for instance, with Tosca, which is a pretty pretty. Uh, big tool uh, nowadays, especially in the Netherlands, Mm -hmm. you see that sort of stuff happening. But with other smaller ones, uh, yeah, the the community is just too small. And I think that that's also a barrier of entry for most of them. Uh, And of course, they're looking at how open source stuff is doing and then adding all sorts of support layers around Mm -hmm. it and claiming that it's easier. Uh, But yeah, you also lose flexibility model also makes access a lot harder.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see how the market evolves with respect to open source tooling and commercial tooling, licensed tooling tools, and uh, indeed how the license models should change uh, uh, in, in in being more flexible. Uh, that's a good point.
3: What I would be interested in, uh, Vincent, uh, more and more people want to uh, do all their quality assessments automatically in a CICD pipeline, but then you need to automate on various Points during your CI/CD process, and and how do you look at that kind of automation? Because, for as far as I know, it would involve multiple different tools with multiple different aims, and all integrated in one automated pipeline.
1: Yeah, uh, you see that a lot, and it, it's often you know something that they really want to work to. Uh, to. So, we want uh, an automated pipeline with automated testing because. We need it or something. And what I'm really afraid of is that automation is seen as something that you should always do. I think you should only do it when it actually solves anything. It's the same as I always say to clients: you know, you can't build a pipeline. A pipeline grows into existence. It's a collection of solutions for problems you had that you connect together and and integrate and 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 try to use them for more effective way together. But you can't say, yeah, you need automated. Testing in a pipeline because that's how we want to do business. No, you can only do it if it solves something that you're currently facing. And yeah, what I see is that some of these approaches are just way too complex and they involve many different tools, too many different expertises, teams are already under pressure, and then, you know, there's some managers screaming, yeah, but we need an automated uh, pipeline, etc., etc., it doesn't even solve anything. And that's something that, that greatly worries me, because it really stresses out the teams, uh, because they are confronted with tools they do not know, maybe not even want and can't even help them. But yeah, there's the company policy saying that you need your automated testing in this sort of, sort of way. And, and that's is pretty that,
3: frustrating. Is that because managers think that they can lower costs and often they think about lowering testing costs because they think testing is expensive where Actually, in my experience, most of the time, the fixing is the most expensive stuff, eh? but testing detects that the quality is not good enough and then you have to fix it. And that costs a lot of money, but then they think we buy a tool and then the tool takes care of it. Whereas yeah. actually you still need people to take care of stuff.
1: That, I'd say that's the biggest bane of our expertise, that people think that automation is going to save them money. It doesn't. It's an investment in quality, and no investment comes with a negative amount of money spent. It, 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 the world just doesn't work that way. Um, it, it's an investment you do in order to solve something that's causing you problems. I've literally had managers say to me, we have four testers, so if you do your test automation stuff, can I then fire two? You know, nowadays, I just walk <laughs> out. That That's just not how to tooling works and that's not what automation is supposed to do Uh, will it never save you money i can never say that but when it does it's also dependent on many other factors so just to make sure that expectations are right i always tell them automation will never ever save you any money It will save you a lot of other stuff, preferably headaches, frustrations. It will make things possible, but it will never save you money because it really changed their perspective. And then they suddenly start realizing that they should not be the person wanting automation. The team should be the one wanting automation because they are the primary benefactor. It will solve their problems. None of the problems of the business and management.
0: So typically what you see in a lot of assignments and a lot of uh, areas where uh, no automation or very little automation is in place, it is, uh, if you uh, consider it uh, aside from the investment, the, the, the money that is involved in investing in it, the team can only benefit from it when they can replace a lot of repetitive tasks That they do right now uh, uh, and um, uh, that they then can focus on the creative side of things that they can focus on the anomalies that they can focus on uh, i don't know the the huge amount of new releases coming in because that increases Uh, it's not indeed about doing the same job only faster because that's that's a very very old way of looking at things uh, and uh, uh, you just want to increase in the uh, speed of doing deliveries so more deliveries per per annum or uh, quicker or in parallel deliveries or uh, indeed you want to uh, uh, up your quality. And and that's where, if you can uh, replace all these repetitive tasks by automation, you have all these engineers, they have their hands free to dive into all the nitty gritty details of these strange things strange behavior that you see out there. And that's where the increase of quality starts. Uh, And that's where the probably uh, you, you, you talk about the investment of course there's a financial investment but that's where it pays off it's it pays off in quality yeah. or in in uh, uh, fastness of releases or the amount of releases uh, and of the, yeah, better the other type thing. of
2: work don't, for, for, don't forget the, that oh, because yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. people happiness experience of that that, yeah. that repetitive task sure. as something that's really annoying
0: yeah sure <laughs> sure sure yeah and that's the the happiness of your work environment can uh, yeah. greatly increase with uh, with implementing yeah. it uh, and that's where even the employee Uh, themselves, they they, uh, might not be able to automate, Uh, but if they get help with automation, then their job becomes a lot more fun than it was. Yeah. And that's what we do. Yeah,
3: that's (laughs) probably one of the aims of an automated CI/CD pipeline, that some of the things that people normally struggle with are now automatically done. And that's also, and I'm interested, Finch, that if you have any experience with that is that, Integration of static testing in your pipeline, eh, where you have uh, obviously developers often do automatic code reviews, but you might even do automatic uh, uh, model assessments or uh, for requirements or anything. Do you do you know if that is something that uh, uh, test automation tool vendors are already working on?
1: Not to my knowledge. That's something that I would think would be really valuable, but I also think thats that will uh, be really difficult. Um, uh, it's, you know, when you're walk, uh, working with these kind of models, there's actually a lot of knowledge uh, I- implicitly built into those, that's very hard for tools to uh, work with. Because if there's one thing that tools can't do is understand context, and usually there's a lot of context stored in, the, in these kind of models, and tools are just horribly poor in understanding mm-hmm. context. You have to tell them everything mm-hmm. in either code or configuration. And I'm, I'm, based on what I see today, I'm not really sure that it's worth it yet. Is it mm-hmm. a good idea? Definitely. Mm-hmm. But I think um, we also need to understand, it's basically the same as with testability. Uh, your models need to be built in a way that tools can very easily access them, read them, and assess them. And usually that's also not done. When you see the, the you know, the horrific spiders uh, that people <laughs> build in Visio, <laughs> yeah, that those things are just, they're hard for people to understand and even more so for tools.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's a good point, good point. Well, I think we uh, got a very good insight in, uh, well, uh, the investments uh, that need to be done with test automation, but also maintainability and uh, the testability of code uh, and uh, and some nice insights in how AI is now playing around a small role in test automation uh, and a small lookouts towards uh, the use of models. Uh, but I think at least for me that sticks is, uh, well, test automation delivers happy employees. The, the nicest sentence that I take out of uh, uh, your uh, insight, Vincent, on, uh, on test automation.
1: I'm very happy with that. I think that's a good conclusion. <laughs> uh,
0: well, that being said, we come to the uh, end of this uh, Technology Labs podcast. So uh, thank you again, Vincent, for attending uh, and being our guest.
1: Very welcome.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, listeners, uh, for uh, listening, and uh, we will see you or talk to you in our next Technology Labs podcast. Bye bye.